Hi, I'm Sean. And I'm Thomas. And this is the Sean and Thomas Show. Hey everybody, welcome to Scale Talk episode number four, a show where we talk with tech leaders here in Chicago about what they've built and how they've gotten to where they are today. On today's show, we have Bill Furlong. Bill is a super successful serial entrepreneur here in Chicago. He has started and sold a few companies in his career, and the largest being a $200 million acquisition by LinkedIn. Uh, since then, he's acted as a mentor to dozens of local startups through the Junto Institute and 1871. Uh, Thomas and I had a ton of fun talking with him, so I hope you all enjoy. Thanks for, for hopping on a call. Um, really, really appreciate it. I know you're super busy, uh, and thanks for being flexible last week. Yeah, no worries. Why don't you start off just telling us about your background um, and how just kind of an overview of how you got to where you are today? Sure, sure. Uh, I always like it how uh, being a boomer and being uh, in my career for three decades now, I, how you could uh, summarize your life in about two minutes. So uh, <laughs> you have something to look forward to. But, uh, you know, I the first, the first part of my career, gents, I uh, spent in what what you could call traditional media. Uh, after graduating University of Illinois, I uh, joined the Chicago Sun-Times and the advertising uh, and marketing department um, and had a, a great five-year run there. Um, spent a little time on the ad agency uh, uh, side of business. Uh, but where I spent the most of my early career was at Cranes. I was at Cranes for Gosh, 11 years, I was a publisher of one of their magazines called B2B Marketing uh, and ran sales for Advertising Age. Uh, and as the late 90s uh, approached, you know, we had that front row seat to the uh, Web 1.0 era. It was quite a ride. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were uh, working with, you know, the first few employees of, of uh, Yahoo and Google and and certainly saw all that venture money uh, convert into advertising uh, uh, commitments by all the early dot coms, and and that's where I got my uh, uh, inspiration, or where I finally took the risk to start my own company. And here in Chicago in 1999, I started uh, one of the city's first uh, venture-funded web media businesses called B2B Works. So. Back then, it was hard to raise money. A lot of local investors were not quite ready yet for uh, the internet, uh, but we did uh, manage to raise a boatload of venture capital, and um, we're one of the exciting new businesses here in Chicago uh, back then. And of course, you all have heard about, if not uh, participated in the first uh, dot bomb. Uh, we were lucky enough to make it through that mess. We didn't spend all our money. We actually had a real business. We sold that. Um, and then most recently, the last six years, um, from 2009 through uh, 15, I was a founder of a San Francisco-based company called uh, Bizo, B-I-Z-O. And we were uh, in the ad tech, MarTech space, advertising technology industry. And we were what is called a, a demand side platform we were in the programmatic and the data uh, targeting ecosystem and we too were venture funded i ran sales and marketing uh and business development and we went from what five employees to 150 and were acquired by linkedin uh in late 15. Awesome. so that was uh an incredible experience both personally uh as well as financially uh, it allowed me to um, uh, take a bit of a break and uh, had an opportunity to become a mentor at 1871 and a couple other local incubators. Uh, I made a few angel investments, but uh, once an entrepreneur, as you guys probably know, always an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And so uh, was inspired uh, by all my mentoring and working with uh, uh, clients at Bizzo like FedEx and Vistaprint, companies that target the small business uh, marketplace, uh, and thus uh, the founding of my current company, Squarestack, which is uh, what we call the Business Apps Command Center 
for small business owners. And uh, certainly look forward to telling you a little bit more about it. You talked about the uh, the dot com bubble, and Thomas and I were were too young to to even know yeah. what was happening. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we we luckily uh, skirted away from that yes. one. <laughs> yeah, good for you guys. But it, it was quite a time, uh, and I learned an awful lot. And uh, it, it it's uh, it was very fulfilling to be part of that first wave. Uh, and really, you know, as you guys as entrepreneurs know, you learn from uh, your experiences, your successes and failures. I don't think we failed, but you know, certainly we went through some really tough times and learned uh, what uh, it takes to build, sustain and grow a business, as well as you know, emotional intelligence and, and how you manage relationships with friends and vendors and, and investors. So uh, I've got chapters and chapters to share about that. So you had, um, before you had gone out on your own, you were working with Crane for almost 10 years, right? Yes. And how, so oftentimes, you know, you have this like mentality or you hear about it because Sean and I haven't ever had real jobs, but you have this, um, <laughs> you hear about have people having golden handcuffs, you know? Yes. Um, what, prompted you to go out on your own after, you know, not having, you know, quote unquote, the comfiness of being in a, yes. a, you know, a steady job, but what prompted you to get out of that? And tell us a little bit more about your personal life at that point in time too, like what was going on? Sure, sure. So uh, great question. And, uh, you know, I was in my early thirties. I had a great career arc till then. I've always been an adventurous person. I've been uh, I, I was an adventure traveler until I started having kids. So I've been to 50 countries and hiked and bungee jumped and uh, uh, helicopter skied. And so, you know, I always had an adventurous spirit. Uh, and I started a few things along the way uh, as a kid uh, and in college. So I always had that uh, kernel of wanting to own my own business. But it, I enjoyed my run through corporate media. But I also realized at that age, too, that, you know, I had a few ideas in mind and, and certainly, you know, meeting all these uh, tech entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley and hanging out with, uh, you know, executives from uh, DoubleClick and uh, Yahoo. I said I wanted some of that stuff. And so I, I literally just on a almost a whim wrote a business plan and shared it with a mentor uh, Pat McGovern, who was the CEO of IDG, a big tech publishing company and a venture firm. And I asked him, you know, how do I raise money? And he basically said, here, I'll, I'll, I'll invest in you. So I was on my way uh, really fairly quickly. On a personal level, I was uh, uh, single at the time and uh, was dating uh, now my future wife. Um, and so you know, I had the ability, I had the income, the savings, and uh, certainly what was very interesting about this time and space back in the late 90s was is there was a lot of capital looking to uh, invest in uh, folks uh, like myself. So it, it was, I just permitted myself a couple of year window to try this entrepreneurial route, and I haven't turned back since. So when you had this this idea and this thought to do this, where'd you start? Like, how did you even know what you wanted to start? So you, you kind of told yourself, I have two years to figure this entrepreneurship yeah. thing out. But where where do you even begin on yeah, that I journey? Think, again, I was in a very opportune uh, convergence of, of trends and businesses. And uh, coming from the world of business to business uh, versus, say, business to consumer, a lot of trends uh, hit the B2B marketplace uh, later than they do in, you know, the upfront consumer packaged goods or uh, consumer facing uh, industries. So, again, I had a front row seat. If, if you guys know Advertising Age or uh, have ever read uh, their newsletters or been on their site or at events, you know, we were truly uh, the um, platform where marketers, venture capitalists, ad agencies, consumer researchers, and 
the burgeoning field of uh, internet uh, startups met. And so from that uh, uh, perch, I saw an opportunity to take uh, what was called an ad network concept and bring it to the B2B uh, ecosystem. So it was really, I, I, I just saw a lot of emerging trends that I could uh, take one uh, and bring it to the B2B uh, sub-segment, if you will, where I was uh, thankfully well-regarded. Uh, I had a great network and uh, innovation was uh, um, in lean supply in the B2B space at that juncture. And so uh, I found uh, a great reception to the buyers and sellers of advertising in the B2B marketplace with a concept that was already quite successful in the consumer uh, marketing space. So it's really, uh, again, to close it up, uh, uh, being in an opportune place and seeing a, uh, a market solution that was yet to be fulfilled. That's really, that's really neat. I really like that. Where did you, um, and I'm sorry if I missed it before, but how quickly did you raise money and how much did you raise throughout that whole entire uh, path for B2B Works? Well, uh, I wrote a business plan uh, in June and uh, spent uh, six figures of my own money uh, aligning our technology uh, platforms, uh, building uh, some partnerships and contracts with uh, the array of technology we needed to do this. And I went to uh, IDG in late summer and uh, went to several other uh, clients uh, of mine from Cranes, uh, not, uh, companies like Prime Media, which is a media company, R.R. Donnelly, which is a, a, the printer, uh, a, you know, multi-billion dollar company now, um, publicly traded. But at the time, you could imagine being a printer of magazines and newspapers and, and, and uh, law journals, et cetera, that the web uh, represented a threat to their legacy business. So, of course, they were interested in putting a, a, a footprint down in this new arena. So within, uh, by the end of September, I raised two and a half million dollars from those three companies at my part partnership. Two and a half million. Yes. Wow. And it's your first, and this is your first venture too, right? You bet. You know, wow. I, I managed, uh, you know, significant budgets and P and L, uh, in my career as a manager mm -hmm. and uh, as a young sales uh, person, I managed decent sized budgets, but all it's relative. Uh, certainly none, uh, none of that prepared me uh, for what it was like to raise venture capital and um, build a business from scratch. Um, and then uh, we did get traction. We built the revenue stream. We had a small group of uh, uh, employees. Uh, we were also partnered with an ad agency here in town called Slack and Company. Who did all our branding and uh, uh, marketing um, strategy and tactics, um, and that worked out well. And then uh, the uh, exuberance really took off in the market. Uh, irrational exuberance, uh, as someone famous said. Um, <laughs> uh, the former head of the Fed, I can't think of his name right now, said that. And we were lucky enough to raise more capital. We raised another $25 million. Um, wow. On a, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, again, it, it re relatively speaking, it's, uh, it's a lot of money. It's certainly more than I've ever raised uh, or managed, if you will. Um, but we had a very uh, attractive valuation. We didn't have to give up too much of the company. And I literally spent a week in San Francisco, specifically um, Menlo Park uh, in the Sand Hill Road, mm -hmm. pitching all the major venture capitalists, and I was oversubscribed. Uh, we had uh, several lead invest investors in that round, and that prepared us to go from you know five to ten employees, and we we were 
up to 125 employees within 18 months. Wow. So it was, it was uh, mind boggling, but, you know, I think our, our, all of us, uh, I had two other partners and two um, senior executives who I gave equity to, we were all in our thirties or early forties. And so we, we like to think that we had some grounded uh, maturity and I think we did uh, because we didn't blow through the money the way several of our venture investors wanted us to. <laughs> so that was a, sort of uh, the antithesis of what you learn, you know, managing your own business like you guys probably do uh, or mm -hmm. myself in a corporate setting. It was we were a bet, uh, a rational uh, bet by several investors and they make many of them. So uh, that was uh, heady days. <laughs> so you were you were what like thirty seven, thirty eight, and you had just raised yeah, twenty five yeah. million dollars. So what what'd you do when twenty five million hit the bank account? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, laid down and uh, <laughs> then I took a shot of uh, scotch. Um, but but uh, yeah, it was pretty uh, mind boggling. But you know, it was. Uh, you know, if if you guys, I'm sure you in your podcast you interview a lot of uh, CEOs and and startup executives. I I too talk to many. Uh, if you just lay down the the math on this, you know, venture capitalists get thousands of uh, uh, business plans a, a year, right? And out of those thousands, they yep. meet maybe 50 to 100 companies, and out of those companies, they invest in maybe five. To 10 and of those five to 10 mm -hmm. let's say let's use 10 maybe uh two or three of them go on to what are called series b and c rounds and then out of that they're lucky if one company has a great exit so when you look at the uh, funnel of uh probability um the fact that we got to that point was you know very uh uh Really impressive. You know, ingratiating. Yeah. And, and, but it, only for a moment because your job really begins once you have that money. So we, we took a run for what, four years. Uh, a lot of companies went belly up. We had to uh, uh, tweak our business model, you know, pivot. You've heard that word, I'm sure, often. We did some pivots uh, and we continued to grow our revenue. But uh, in 2004, we had to raise uh, another round to, to sustain our growth and in investment in technology and people. And we had to do it under what's called a uh, down round circumstances, uh, yep. where mm. the value, value of your company wasn't what it was in the uh, you know, heady days of uh, the uh, rise up. Mm -hmm. uh, so that uh, cost a lot of us our, our equity um, and change the dynamics of, of the incentive a founder has uh, to stay the course. And again, lessons learned. I, after six years of, you know, incredibly hard work, uh, decided to leave on my own accord and still retain my equity position, but it was time for me to go. And so I did. And, uh, Again, I don't think my story is that unique uh, for venture-funded companies. I read some stat that, uh, you know, of 10 companies that go to Series C round, two CEOs, uh, and don't quote me on this, I'm just from memory, uh, two CEOs will stay that long um, through, through, through the uh, second, third phases of the business. Yeah, because it's basically like you're running a totally different business um, the first year versus the post-Series C year. Um, so that Correct. very well, could, it takes a totally different type of person to run that company. And that's, that's not saying anything about the CEO. It's just a different skill set. Right. There's several things here. First off, you, when you early in uh, from an equity perspective, you're, you're uh, equal to uh, the status or preferred status of the venture capital capital and other investors. Uh, and as you raise money, uh, and this is the trade craft, if you will, of venture funding that very few uh, 
startup CEOs know about uh, is they get preferences. So they get their money first before you sell the company is sold. So as you mm-hmm. move through that cycle, depending on the preferences and, and dilution and uh, valuation um, growth, uh, you could find yourself parked, if you will, uh, behind your investors when it time when time comes to exit. So you've you've gone from a very vested, equal partner to a honestly a more of a glorified employee with some equity. Uh, and then the the second piece, which I think you were alluding to, uh, my skill sets don't uh, aren't appropriate to run a fifty to a hundred million dollar company. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm zero this 50 million, right? Uh, uh, my skill sets, what I like to do, what I know how to do is to start from a vision and build the company to a certain level. And again, as I said, voluntarily or involuntarily, many CEOs like me leave their own companies later down the line and turn it over to a professional CEO. What was, because we're talking uh, we're, we're on the topic of investments and different series and et cetera. For reference, uh, Squarestack, do you have investment in that? Or is, is that venture-backed or is this all out of pocket? Great question. So uh, um, if I may, my second company was a search marketing firm. And I've self-funded that one. And uh, I uh, went for, I only had 15 employees. It was a lifestyle business. Very much the polar opposite of B2B works. And we sold that company. Uh, but I had no other, I was the only equity holder. So so you're bootstrapped, right? I was bootstrapped. And uh, on that exit, I made more money than the first one, which was venture funding. <laughs> and, and by the way, that, you know, uh, a thing that I share in my mentor uh, classes here in Chicago is that, you know, you hear all these stories uh, about these unicorns, right? Uh, or these giant uh, market value valued companies. And uh, you could make a very, very innocuous, easy assumption that if the company's worth a billion dollars, wow, the CEO must be worth a half a billion. Well, in many cases, that's just not true because what they've done, and even uh, here in Chicago, we have had companies go through series A through G in raising money and every time uh, a fundraising event happens yeah, the founders get diluted uh, not maybe diluted as much as diluted <laughs> if you will uh, and and so their equity gets smaller and smaller but by all means there's folks that that doesn't happen to but in most cases it does so while it's it's sort of uh, what your vantage point is, you know, the the idea that uh, every CEO and founder uh, is getting this most of the exit is just not true. Um, so what I've done with Squarestack is we are uh, we started incorporated two years ago. The first 18 months I self-funded, spending my own money, building the platform. I have partners in Champaign. Urbana, where our coding team is, uh, very uh, much a hidden gem uh, in the region where to recruit coding talent and API developers, et cetera. Um, and then my other partner is a UX uh, savant, uh, as I call them. Uh, and so brought them in. They, they put in uh, you know time for equity. And uh, last fall, I started my angel round. So I've raised a quarter million in angel. We are now a revenue producing company and um, not big, but uh, we are probably going to raise another 200 of angel and then uh, see where that takes us to the fall. And uh, I am not uh, dismissing venture, but given that I'm later in my career uh, and I've done decently i'd like to think uh, i don't i'm not aspiring to have a unicorn i just want to build a solid business with a great margin and 
pay my investors dividends. And uh, if there's a exit down the line, so be it. But right now we're enjoying the journey. That's awesome. Yeah, Thomas and I are we're we're on the same same train as you. Where I'm not sure where we got where we got it, but it's it, it just like you said. You look at these billion dollar companies, and then you look at the founders, and they're actually not making like that much money, it, like in their pocket when when it comes down to it. So we're we're on the same train where we really like to have a really nice small medium sized business where we own it all. Yeah. And just make sure that the margins are good. And then we can control a lot more of it. We have a lot more freedom. Right. Um, customers are happier and everyone's, yeah, it just works out for everybody. <laughs> right. And and by the way, you know, uh, as we, we talk about it, uh, Junto Institute, which is one of the uh, local incubators I'm mentoring at, is it's you're starting a business for you. So what do you want it to be? And once you have a fairly solid uh, vision of that, you may not need money, or you may need your uncle's money, or you may need, uh, you know, angel. Uh, there's PE firms now who are, are coming down in, into earlier stage companies. There's family offices, there's banks, there's SBA loans. So, you know, venture isn't always the answer. Um, and, and clearly, you know, while I, I have met some venture firms and they think we're on a big sort of mark, uh, scalable market segment, uh, you know, I'm not, they're not in the front of the line for me. Bill, can you talk to us? Because it seems like you've, you've done it all from angel to seed to series, you know, A, B to bootstrap. Um, can you talk a little bit about the type of relationship or the mindset that you were in um, when you had that first kind of like seed investment uh, with B2B works and then the series A um, and then bootstrap, like what's your, what, what was your mentality and your kind of relationship with the, with your business at that point in each one of those scenarios? Uh, you know, I'll just, you know, cause each of them were different. Let, let me try to find a common thread. Or, uh, for them all, and at, at seed level, you know, you have I had already uh, in my intuition, uh, in my bones, so to speak, knew I had a great idea, and knew I was the guy who could do it. Right? I didn't know whether I'd be successful. I didn't know what, how big it would be. I didn't know who would help me do it. But those first er early assumptions and confidence uh, were common in all my ventures um, because I didn't want to raise money unless I felt in my bones that I, I had something. And so that's why I had to spend my own money. Uh, the only one I didn't was my Bizzo deal where I was recruited as a senior executive as the first outside manager employee number five. So they gave me quote unquote founding team status. Uh, but my three that I started, I spent all my own money before I actually went to other people's money. And by the way, I, I had committed uh, customers as well. So I wasn't making money yet, but I had customers who signed the contracts who were holding my hand or we were holding each other's hands on the uh, product launch. So those were all pretty common. And it's from an emotional standpoint, uh, it was um, a confirmation that I was on my way. I opened door number two, right? And I wasn't, uh, I didn't have to uh, depend on my, all my own money anymore. It was other people's money who had confidence in me. Um, and so while, you know, I certainly, even today, I'm not taking a full full on salary. I I take what's called a stipend, and in startup world, that's code for lousy salary. <laughs> um, and so so uh, and I have three teenagers, and so I have my benefits covered. So once you get the seed, you can start to take pressure off your your own bank account, and you have recognition that you're on a good path. And then um, uh, now seed, series A, 
depends on what type of money you're picking up. But let's just say later this year or uh, when I raised um, bigger money, that's another sort of layer of confirmation that your business is on a good path. Um, when I raise my next round, which would, I guess, if you wanted a parallel in the venture world, it would be Series A. Um, uh, and what I would say to that is, is that we have customers, we have users who are uh, engaged in the platform. They're using it uh, repetitively. Uh, investors are, are seeing the data and metrics come in, so it's proving out as a deliverable uh, solution to a market pain. And you are now figuring out uh, better ways to go to market, uh, uh, what strategies need to be refined, uh, how do you scale the business. So hopefully I'll be in that position later this year. Um, and at that point, uh, it, you know, in all these points of your journey, no rest for the weary, right? Um, do you guys know um, Jason Freed? Or yeah. of his books. Yeah, of yep. course. He's a legend in town. One of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, Rework is great. He's got a new book out now that uh, I just picked up. But, you know, I'm subscribed to his philosophy of running a business. It's all about balance. It's about respect of your employees uh, and your partners. Uh, you know, the whole uh, uh, zeitgeist of, you know, working around the clock. Um, the greed machine, uh, you're seeing a big uh, pushback from that, especially in areas outside Silicon Valley. And as you well know, our city, um, Austin, um, Columbus, uh, Madison, Ann Arbor, you know, there's a lot of great tech uh, uh, startup uh, vibe going on. And many of those areas, uh, regions subscribe to the the non-Silicon Valley way of building business. So I'm of that mind too. You have to maintain equilibrium, uh, uh, manage uh, your progress uh, pragmatically and sanely, uh, because I'll tell you, I was on that uh, Silicon Valley uh, treadmill and it could destroy, could destroy you if you're not careful. So why don't you take us back to when you were recruited for Bizzo? So at this point, if I got my timeline right, you've started two companies and you sold the second one. And then you were recruited. We sold on. both. You sold. Okay. We, we sold uh, B2B Works after I left uh, as an operator. I was still on the board, but I wasn't an operator. So we sold that in 2006. Uh, to a private equity company, and then uh, uh, Search Channel, which was my second company, I sold in 08. Got it. So tell us about what that company did, because um, it looks like you guys had a, a pretty pretty lucrative exit there to LinkedIn. So tell us a little bit about that company. Have you heard of programmatic advertising? I'm mm -hmm. sure you have. Yep. So so we were the, one of the first entries in the business-to-business -business side of the ecosystem. So we created a platform uh, and we had uh, one heck of a team based in San Francisco, a lot of Stanford uh, and Cal Poly uh, exec uh, uh, grads um, with serious chops uh, working in Silicon Valley. And so our platform basically was a programmatic uh, service for marketers to target by what we call business demographics. So Hewlett Packard can target C-suite or middle management by size of company, uh, by function and title. So it was a way for, uh, say, Hewlett Packard Healthcare to reach C-suite executives in the healthcare industry. And we would deliver their advertising, banner advertising, text advertising, across the entire internet. So the, C, uh, the CTO at uh, Advocate would likely see that ad, whether they were on ESPN or Chicago Tribune or, you know, modernhealthcare.com. 
So we were one of the first players that allowed this uh, innovative way to reach targets, not by what website they're on, but what they are, and then follow them wherever they go. And so that platform, we were connected to all the major DSPs and data management platforms and data uh, uh, third-party data providers. And thus we became ubiquitous, if you will, across the entire new ad buying and ad selling um, systems. Uh, and so uh, after growing, uh, I specifically built our supply side of the house. So many of our data partners were uh, uh, companies like Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Chicago Tribune, and then Cranes and every vertical industry you could think of. We had the media companies that served them as part of our data network. Um, and, you know, five years in, I lived in Chicago, one partner in New York, one partner in Boston and two in San Francisco. We built a company of 150 employees, 50 million sales. And LinkedIn bought us for 200 million in 16. Wow. And, uh, yep. And, uh, you know, uh, again, what's interesting is uh, our company was um, skunk worked, uh, if, if that's the word, uh, inside a big data company in Boston called uh, Zoom Info. Okay. So Zoom incubated us, and I joined it when we untethered from the mothership. Um, as employee number five, and we raised some capital then. So, uh, you know, you look at that number, it's a great number. Believe me, I uh, am completely uh, uh, humbled by the experience. And uh, But, you know, Zoom owned a lot of the company and our venture capitalist partners did as well. Um, but after we sold, I, I left with the, with the money and uh, started the next chapter. And, and LinkedIn bought us uh, because they it, were basically more of a talent management company. So obviously you guys know, you go there to network, uh, look for jobs or people look for uh, recruits. Uh, and their 80% of their revenue was their uh, talent solutions uh, uh, offering. Uh, and they wanted to get more into the advertising programmatic space. And since we were B2B, their B2B, we were a great fit. And they really bought us not so much for our revenue, but for our machine that automatically plugged them in to this wildly uh, uh, crazy uh, ecosystem. Yeah. So when they, when they acquired you, did you stay on the team or did you leave? No, I, I left with two other uh, founders and three others stayed aboard till uh, their earnout expired. Got it. And what made you decide to do that? Because I know some, some founders really don't want to stay on post-acquisition, but some on the they other hand decided. Do, They decided. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, uh, a, a few of us, like one of the partners in financial and two of us in data, uh, in business development and marketing, it would you know, we were becoming redundant departments, I, I guess. I don't know the real reason, but it's fine. Uh, I, I was good with that. You, you were okay with getting the check and then leaving and starting your own next thing, right? Yes, right. <laughs> um, so oftentimes, and we, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, um, but oftentimes you always hear about having a slice of a pie that's really big is better than, you know, having the whole pie, but the pie not being worth anything. So out of, you know, the several companies that you've been with or started, you know, B2B Works, uh, Search Channel, Bizzo, um, where where was the biggest gain or do, should people be concerned about, you know, having a piece of the pie or the whole pie? Uh, that's such a great question. And, and I'd be uh, less than honest if I said I had the, uh, you know, succinct answer for it. It, it, it. And I don't want to sound like a politician, but it depends. Right. I mean, it really mm -hmm. does depend. I mean, uh, you know, it's interesting that. Uh, well, I made more in Bizzo because of because it was, you know, at a higher 
number, but very few companies ever sell for that kind of number, right? Especially uh, in the Midwest, and especially I can only speak uh, more astutely is the ad tech uh, media space of the web. Uh, so that was a phenomenal exit. Um, I think it, if I could say it another way, it depends on where you're at in your career and your mindset. So for right now, I mean, I could speak to what I would rather own most of Squarestack, uh, be the primary shareholder, uh, than raise 50 million, which I could do, I think, uh, pretty quickly, at least a lots of venture and give up a lot of the control or the future control. So it uh, depends where you are as an entrepreneur. Uh, for me, guys, I, I this is my uh, hopefully last business, uh, and I, I hope to ride it 10 years. Uh, you know, who knows? Technology, as you know, is always uh, changing and, and exponentially uh, uh, growing in terms of uh its ability to deliver solutions. So that's my game plan. I, I'd rather take the slow, rational build of a great and solid business. And I would likely do that through not raising a lot of capital and turning cash flow uh, and EBITDA back into the company. Uh, whereas if I'm a younger guy or gal, and I have an idea that I know may work, uh, but it may be a quick market opportunity. Uh, you may be more suited for a bigger venture raise and have professional investors that could help you recruit and build your company, which is, again, a lot of venture companies do. And that's why a lot of younger, uh, uh, um, less experienced, uh, but very committed entrepreneurs will see that venture is their best partner because many of the really good venture folks do have an incredible network where they will help you re uh, recruit talent uh, within the ecosystem of their other portfolio companies, provide synergies and solutions and, and customers possibly. So while I may have come off as uh, saying right now, venture may not be my own route, it sure the heck could be for many others. Um, so Bill, you have what seems like a track record of being a part or starting companies that end up being sold. Um, you often hear of this mentality of people being like, don't build to sell or like, don't have a sale in mind or an exit in mind. Uh, and, and Sean and I have that similar mentality as well, but then we often struggle with, should we plan ahead, you know, like five or 10 years of what we should be doing. So, when you started, you know, B2B Works, when you started Search Channel, when you were a part of Bizzo, what was your strategy? Was it planning or was it an exit? Great. So, again, another fabulous question. And uh, let's put it this way. Investors don't invest without wanting to know how they make money. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're ever going to raise money, you have to have some uh presentable exit or uh, return on investment proposal for them, right? And so while you may not, you know, certainly I don't think about it every day, exit, I do have an exit strategy for Squarestack. And we did for every other company because we, uh, uh, even my own company, Search Channel, uh, because Technology changes so fast, um, and it's a requirement in order to get invested in. People aren't going to put money in your company and not know how to get their money back and more. So you have to have a stable, rational exit plan. Now, at a personal level, it's something you don't think about every day. You have to be building the business in real time. You have to think about customers, customers, customers. If you don't have a solution, they aren't buying or renewing, you're, you're toast. So, um, you know, it's, it's really a, a um, calibration of having an exit plan, um, 
but also understanding that you have to be in it for the journey. Again, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You heard all the, uh, you know, tired analogies. Yeah. Uh, but it's true. And so I don't know if I helped you there, uh, but, you know, clearly uh, if you want to just run a business with a, uh, and not think about an exit, it's what people call lifestyle business, right? And um, you can't mention that word around investors, lifestyle, even though it means different things to different people. And so if you want to start a business, you want to be a design shop and just build through revenue and, you know, uh, not accountable to any other uh, uh, investor or partner, go ahead. It's If you can build something, go for it. Uh, but, you know, those kinds of businesses usually are services oriented and they're not sellable. Yep. And so what many uh, entrepreneurs are thinking about is, you know, what can I build um, that at some point in time can be sold uh, for its enterprise value? Uh, I come out of uh, doing a lot of work with ad agencies and have many friends who own and run them. And they're in their 50s now and they're not thinking of retiring yet, but they're also struggling to understand how do they reap all the reward of, you know, having a company for 20 years that's well-respected, but the product, uh, you know, leaves the office every day at six o'clock or seven o'clock. Uh, how do you sell that? Right. And so many services companies, once you want to retire or move on to, you know, a new career, uh, it's harder to, uh, get what you think it's worth if you want to sell it. Yeah, that's totally true. Right. Uh, I mean, Tom, Thomas and I are a service company and we've recently were having conversations like this. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a hard business to sell unless you've got something really, really compelling or if you have yes. uh, really, really talented employees. <laughs> right. Or, or, you know, in the, uh, the bigger agency, more integrated marketing agencies uh, that I know, uh, they have uh, younger partners on the team who will do a management buyout, right? Uh, and, and that seems to be a, a decent course to take if you're approaching retirement. But again, um, you, everybody who raises money needs to have a exit plan to share with their money or they're not going to invest. Um, you mentioned earlier that you are a mentor with the Junto Institute. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you got involved with that and what it's been like? Sure. So uh, junto, by the way, is a uh, Latin word uh, for uh, team uh, and uh, intimate group. Uh, it was the first junto uh, in what inspired the uh, founder of Junto Institute was Benjamin Franklin. used to have his junto with all those uh guys who signed the uh, declaration. So uh, he took that uh, word and called it Junto Institute. Uh, Raman Shadra, I don't know if you've heard that name, but he is the founder. And he led before that the De DePaul uh, University Entrepreneurial Center. And so he too had a uh, goal to start his own learning company. And so he started Junto six years ago. And he and I have been on a few panels over the years, uh, hosted by Cranes and and uh, local tech uh, incubators, uh, Tech Nexus among them. So we befriended each other. And when he started his company, he asked me to join his group as one of his uh, founding mentors. And so what he does is he has cohorts or semesters in school vernacular uh, uh, every six months and uh, mostly companies who are series A or revenue producing uh, companies will send their CEO and management teams to school. And each company gets four or five mentors. These companies come uh, to class every week. Uh, us mentors come twice a month and uh, the mentor team typically is a comprised of a sales and marketing guy, uh, finance person, uh, a technologist, 
um, an HR or ops person. So you have the, the whole myriad of, of the silos, if you will, um, as part of the mentor team. And we just literally just provide our advice uh, through our success and failures and then have off-site coffees, cocktails, uh, you know, with the resident teams. And it's all about it. Our center, uh, central theme is what's called emotional intelligence, how to be a better leader, how to uh, build and grow your company, its culture, uh, which, you know, all studies point to is, is the fuel to a great company is its culture. Bill, who inspired you or who was your mentor um, to, to get you to where you are today? Who, who taught you but before there was a junto, you know, to teach you uh, and for you to be? Well, you know, that, that's another super question. Uh, when I started B2B Works here, guys, in 99, there were no resources at all like this. Um, and in fact, I had to leave town to raise most of my money. So uh, there were a few groups uh, just starting more, more peer mentors, uh, uh, networking opportunities, um, divine interventions you may remember or heard of in the history books, uh, the famous or infamous Flip Filipowski built this network for CEOs. Uh, but I get down to it. My father has always been my inspiration. Um, he, he was not an entrepreneur, but he was a very talented uh, lead executive in the uh, transportation trucking industry. So he's always been uh, right there for me. Um, I come from a political family and I have a, a, an uncle who was a, uh, an entrepreneur and a state senator uh, for decades. And he's been a, a, a great uh, inspiration to me. And then I have a couple of uh, good friends in uh, bosses that I uh, um, had in my media career who I stay in touch with. So, you know, those are the personal contacts. Um, that, that have helped me um, on my way. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, just other entrepreneurs, uh, I don't really have anybody that I look up to. Uh, you know, certainly like everyone, you know, what Steve Jobs has done. And, and uh, there was a guy, Kevin Ryan, uh, um, who started DoubleClick, who I just, was one of my early inspirations uh, back in the 90s. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just uh, built this way. I, uh, I, my wife always says, you know, when are you going to take a rest? And I go, it's just, it's just not the way I'm wired. Do you do any uh, investing of your own um, into startups? And if you do, what types of companies do you look for? Yes. Uh, you know, I, I mostly keep my money in real estate and stock market, but I actually have made, I don't know, four or five angel investments and, uh, uh, two of them are web media companies, but I've made two recent investments, uh, small angel investments in data companies, uh, one in New York and one here. So they're B2B oriented, my industry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we will find out <laughs> if they're good, good investments or not. So tell us, because we haven't had too much of an opportunity yet, but tell us a little bit about Squarestack. Ah, Yes. I was inspired most uh, from several uh, past uh, threats or themes. One is uh, at Bizzo, many of our good advertisers, clients were companies like FedEx, GoDaddy, Deluxe Checks, Vistaprint, Fellows. And if you catch a thread there, it's uh, they're all targeting small business. And so I got to learn a lot through my relationships with their digital uh, uh, buyers uh, that the, the small business market is getting bombarded by technology, by the cloud, by all the SaaS uh, solutions that they now can leverage and act like, you know, Fortune 500 company at minimal dollars. Uh, so that was one uh, theme. Second was is being a mentor. In many cases, the start, uh, startups needed to understand how to build their enterprise, right? 
how do you know what software do I use for finance and for HR and for social media and for CRM? So obviously I knew a little bit about that. And then lastly, I am a small business owner and I have over what I have 23 current apps I use, business apps we call them, uh, they're really SaaS, to run my business. So out of all that, uh, finally, I just got tired of friends and, and uh, contacts in, the, in business uh, asking me how to build a website or how to do CRM. And I decided to have a focus group. Imagine that. And it's funny when I talked to a young venture partner on the West Coast, how did you come up with this? Duh, a focus group. <laughs> and so uh, we had a dozen men and women, boomers, millennials, car dealer, uh, lawyer, uh, uh, financial advisor, get, get in a room and tell us where their pain was. And none of them have IT directors or CTOs. All of them are paying you know, a few hundred to a few grand in software. And the laments we heard are, I can't find my password. I don't know how to find the metrics. I, I don't know why I buy this stuff. Uh, you know, how do I get better at this? Uh, I need to. Uh, the world has changed. My market's on the web. My employees are. My vendors are demanding us to go on their portals, SaaS portals. And so out of that, they actually create helped us create our user interface, which we call the Business Apps Command Center for Small Business. So for 10 bucks a month, uh, that owner can aggregate, consolidate all their apps into one uh, system, one username and password, saves 22 minutes a day, and then through the magic of APIs, which I know you guys know, uh, we can mm -hmm. uh, bring to a single screen all the key metrics uh you know, pulsating through their business. You know, so the thesis and reality now is that small business owner can, you know, wake up in the morning with his cup of coffee, check out how many checks came in the bank, opens on newsletters, new followers on LinkedIn, how many reps submitted their expense reports, are they late, uh, uh, where the product is in the supply chain, uh, Google Analytics report, all in one place, right? And so now they have the, the key uh, insights to really become more uh, strategic leaning in their business and also, quite frankly, be comfortable with that investment they're making uh, in technology. And then one last piece to it, uh, we're part, uh, we built a app marketplace and I'm sure you've heard of uh, or used TripAdvisor or Kayak. Similarly, we have aggregated business software reviews into one uh, aggregate uh, place. So companies like G2 Crowd, GetApp, Captera, Discover Cloud, we have relationships where we suck in all their reviews. So if you're a small business owner, you could go into your review center uh, and look at the reviews for new CRM. Uh, currently, we go through what we call a channel distribution uh, strategy. So we partner with business media associations and franchisers to distribute our product, either co-branded or private label. So we're with uh, sites like the American Marketing Association. We're with uh, the Minority Business Development Agency. Uh, we launched with a uh, publisher in D.C. called Industry Dive, who has two and a half million small business subscribers. So they sell it uh, through their their own platforms to their members at ten bucks a month, and we split that money. Um, so it's a great way for them to make incremental revenue that's not related to advertising. Uh, they get key insights on how technology is used by their constituency, and uh, they're in the workflow, so to speak, which is a big uh, trend uh, in the business publishing world. So we're pretty excited. We only have, you know, a few thousand subscribers uh, uh, in each vertical that we're in. We, we're uh, meeting some very big uh, players in the next quarter that would uh, become channel partners. And also, uh, and I'd love to talk 
to you guys about this later, but we're having uh, a book hit Amazon in March. Uh, I wrote a book called Appify Your Business, uh, the small, bus small business owner's playbook to the cloud. And so the whole idea is, you know, th this 200 page book will, you know, introduce and recommend uh, the process and the challenges and opportunities in becoming more uh, cloud-based in your business. So who's your, your target customer here? Who's Who um, do you think, at least right now, because I'm sure you're, you're still trying to figure out exactly who the best customer is. Exactly. So uh, whether it's the SBA or uh, Salesforce or Facebook, uh, the number of small businesses under 100 employees in the U.S. is about 40 million. But for us, we believe uh, the sweet spot is five to 50 employees, which we are told is like eight to 10 million businesses. So, you know, where they where you don't have an IT director, where you don't have a outsourced technology systems integrator company, that's where we fit. Um, and so uh, many of the channel partners we have, that's their core uh, composition of their SMB members. Yeah, we, we would not be a solution for a mid-market or a Fortune 500 company. There's some big boys out there uh, like Okta uh, and Domo that provide parts of our solution for the big bigger companies. Got it, got it. If people listening want to find out more, is it just squarestack.com? You got it. Yep. They could come right to the homepage and uh, uh, register. We have a uh, 90 day free trial for, before uh, you sign up for 10 bucks a month. Uh, and uh, we'll be offering the book as a free premium come March with that registration. And conversely, if you buy the book first uh, online starting in March, you'll get uh, 90 days free when you buy that book uh, of Squarestack. So uh, we're pretty excited, and uh, we also, uh, you know, are working with our channel partners to provide this as a uh, incentive to their audiences. I've got one last question. It's a fun one. Um, All right. And it goes back to the very beginning of when we started talking, and it's uh, and it was when you were an adventure traveler, ah. and you said you went to fifty countries. Um, yes. Tell, tell us about this adventure traveling thing, because well, both Sean and I are very, very yeah. pro traveling. And yeah, tell us about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I'm half Croatian, uh, so I'm counting six countries in Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslavia. <laughs> so, so, so I like in any it. Of it. Uh, yeah, it started uh, after college. I did you know, what was the cool thing to do in the 80s was, you know, uh, graduate and then go to Europe for a year. So I did that and actually played rugby. Uh, in Ireland and Wales and, and uh, France uh, on that trip. And so that started the, the unending the, uh, passion. And so um, uh, in my single days, uh, mostly, uh, I traveled a lot for business, so I racked up miles, uh, you know, free, free mileage, mileage. So every year, a couple of buddies of mine and I would plot out a, you know, three-week trip to uh, lands uh, unknown. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, we've been to Borneo and, and New Zealand and uh, uh, Zimbabwe and uh, uh, Chile. We did the, you know, top to bottom trip on Chile all the way to Tierra del Fuego. We've been to uh, uh, Thailand and Burma and uh, Ho Chi Minh City. So, you know, we literally... Um, I, I've been to every continent, even Antarctica. So, so uh, it took a little bit of slower pace once I got married. But my wife and I, uh, for our honeymoon, did the Mediterranean. We've been to Australia together and China. Um, and now my young, my 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 kids, we've started to take them all over the country. And did. Uh, in their early years to, to now, still doing it, we take road trips to all the national parks. So we've got all those stickers on our uh, Thule uh, overhead. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's just a 
and I still travel, you know, New York and San Francisco quite a bit. Uh, I lived in both those cities for a few years each, but this is home and it's a great, uh, what do you call it, uh, central base. Thanks everybody. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Bill. Uh, if you haven't yet, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Each week we try to bring you an awesome conversation with someone here in Chicago that has done something really, really cool and impressive. So yeah, have a great weekend, everybody.